This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area who has integrated different somatic practices, including rolfing, into his work. You can learn more about Cosper's work at his website at cosperscafidi.com. That's C O S P E R C, excuse me, S C A F I D I.com. Today's guest is Martin Uchik, who moved from Germany to California in the 90s, where he trained with Eckhart Tolle as a Power of Now group facilitator, and later became an avid student of Ken Wilber's integral philosophy. This allowed him to integrate his relationships experiences into integral relationships, a manual for men, which Wilber calls terrific. Martin's second book, Sex, Purpose, Love, allows couples to experience a new form of love through sharing a purpose that makes the world a better place. Wilbur calls it groundbreaking. Martin currently lives in Istanbul, Turkey, Los Angeles, California, and teaches worldwide, online, and in person. How you doing, Martin? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Good to see you. Likewise. So we both share integral theory, obviously. We've... Uh, we see that as an amazing framework to kind of organize the world's great wisdom traditions and, and social and physical sciences. And um, you know, before we kind of get into how you use that framework to work with individuals and then individuals within couples, that seems to be the thrust of your work. I'm curious, like what led you to originally to Eckhart Tolle's work and then eventually finding Wilbur's integral theory that you then mm -hmm. integrated into your total package of your work that you do today? Yeah. So, first of all, thank you for having me on your show and uh, for everyone who's listening and is curious. It's obviously my, my deep passion that I live for. So any opportunity is wonderful. And uh, well, Eckhart Tolle was a total coincidence in 2000. I played in a band and uh, the bass player found out that I was into Abraham Maslow and Gandhi and uh, Viktor Frankl, kind of like that. Uh, humanistic psychology and uh, and he said oh my wife just was at a conference in La Jolla inter, uh, it was called the Inner Directions Gathering at the end there was this teacher most people had already left nobody had heard of him and he just blew everyone away so she bought the tape and this my bass player the bass player gave me the copy of this tape and there was this guy with a German accent <laughs> starting no expectancy not waiting for anything to happen, just being here in the present moment, blah, blah, blah. And then after one and a half hours standing ovation, and I was just completely mesmerized uh, by this idea that I could find happiness by being present you know, in the moment, which I had never even considered or thought about or heard. And bought a book, he was a few months later, he was in San Francisco, went there, talked with him, went again, uh, found a course in Miracles Group, trained with Eckhart after I did a one-week retreat with him as a group facilitator, and then uh, facilitated for five years the Power of Now group at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa. It was a weekly group. And, so, and two years later, I was married at the time. We have three children. I became a sensitive new age guy, what we call a snack in California and uh, told my wife after six months of therapy that I wanted to be loved. What a concept, right? 
And she said, if you want to be loved, you have to find someone else. So, and that was actually liberating in a way, I think for both of us. Uh, and that plunged me into the postmodern new age, California, Northern Californian scene of uh, trying to have healthy love relationships. Let me, before you go down that path, let me ask you at, at that time, and then reflectively looking mm -hmm. back, um, maybe the definition might have changed. What did you mean you wanted to be loved? I wanted to be loved. Yeah, that's a, that's a good concept. So uh, I guess where, where, where I grew up in Germany, men were basically loved if they didn't beat up their wife and if they made enough money that, that their families could uh, mm. you know, have a good life. And that's what my father did. He was a very good man, but very emotionally unavailable. Okay. And I know nothing about the sex life of my parents, but our relationship had become sort of like a, a purely functional, my, my ex-wife and I, relationships are purely functional for integral people, lower right quadrant, like in the social context relationship. And we had no intimate conversation. We had no sexual intimacy. Uh, we, you know, we, we hardly knew each other on, on an interior level. And so at, at the time, I think, I was very interested in, in a, that the pure feeling of somebody deeply knows me and cares about me and that, and that we also uh, heal and, and, and awaken together at the time, I would say healing and awakening became just finding a higher purpose in life than just to make money and eat and sleep and raise children. So of course, what love means that that changes uh, over, over time. And today I have a very different idea of what, what love means. And, and, what, like and then, and, and maybe I didn't even really fully know what it meant because my therapist kept pounding back on me when I talked about certain people said, you, you come really alive. And when you talk about your marriage and your wife, you're kind of like that. And, and maybe that's what, what love at the time meant to me to come alive and to, to feel you know, some life energy and some passion and, 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 and a, a different purpose, a light, different life energy. So for conversation's sake, for folks who maybe have a slight grasp on AQAL, you know, the, the integral theory model, mm -hmm. where might you place that definition of love that you're seeking with your ex-wife? Uh, and then if you wouldn't mind, and I do want to more, hear more of your stories, so we'll get to mm -hmm. there. Let's start there. Like, where might you put that into your into the integral framework? In the integral framework. Well, at the time, of course, I didn't know about the integral framework, but it was a shift. What we would call from the exterior behavioral, mm -hmm. right? That that if we love someone, we don't beat them, and we we kind of care for them in in the material manifest world, and yeah. and that would include sexuality, which was not included uh, at the end of my marriage with with my wife. So it was purely in, in the physical material world that, that uh, but at the time that wasn't even my biggest problem. My biggest problem was intimacy, what we would put into the, if you want to use integral speak into the left quadrants, which is the interior where, where somebody really knows us and reflects on us, on our thoughts and feelings and, and dreams and hopes and uh, you know, what we call into me, you see, intimacy, right? Yeah. Into me, you see. I like that. Yeah. So then you said that uh, 
you had this conversation and obviously a divorce had occurred and then you went exploring the postmodern new age Northern California scene. So yeah, yeah. Right from there. So, um, so what is kind of a true story, it's, it's kind of like became a running joke is that uh, the first time I had sex, I was very shy and insecure around women. So the first time I had sex in my life, I was 21 years old. And after this woman slept with me, a former a classmate, three days later, I moved in with her and subsequently married her. And it was my first marriage. And then that lasted seven years. Then I really had a hard time finding another woman. And then a second woman slept with me. And after nine months, we moved in together and I married her. And so when my second marriage came to an end, I, I literally thought if I find another woman and get lucky and, and the woman has sex with me, I'm going to marry her. And then since my second marriage lasted 14 years, I figured that will be then the rest of my life. At least, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Multiples of seven, sounds like. <laughs> and, you know, what I didn't, kind of realized at the time, especially when I entered the, the Center for Spiritual Living in outer Northern California and, you know, workshops around love, sexuality, intimacy, there were about 70 or 80% women there and only 20 or 30% men. So the tables were kind of turned. Usually the women were hitting on guys and not the guys hitting on women, which is just a, a matter of, of quantity. And, and also I discovered internet dating, which, which removed this embarrassing thing that I, or I felt as embarrassing or this fear of rejection maybe is the better word, right? Because you're anonymous and when then somebody writes back and forth, then there is no more fear of rejection when you meet in person. And I, I was actually pretty good once I no longer had to have this fear of rejection, either when the women showed a clear interest in me and I maybe was the one who said, I'm not interested or on online dating. And so in hindsight, it felt like I was locked into a candy store. And mm -hmm. so, so, and, you know, and I became somewhat of a sex addict actually, and, and love, um, there's a group sex and love addicts anonymous, like alcoholic anonymous. It became so exciting to have, you know, this string of girlfriends and these opportunities uh, for sex, but there was also a lot of heartbreak on my side and on, sometimes on the side of the woman, sometimes on both sides. And in the Power of Now group, um, the people who know the Power of Now, there is a chapter on love relationships in the Power of Now. And that always brought up the most uh, discussion and, and sharing and also painful experiences. And in general, uh, the people in this new age scene, and a lot of people struggled in their love relationships, which I thought at the beginning was kind of odd because I was married twice. My mar parents were married for 50 years until my dad passed away. I wasn't even aware about all these struggles. And then very quickly, I found myself in this chaos, I would call it. So I remember I was in three states at the time. I was either terribly uh, uh, no, in love, not terribly, happily in love, but, but almost painfully in love, right? Or I was terribly heartbroken or I was very desperate to yeah. get the next kick, so to speak, you know, to find the next uh, uh, serotonin and oxytocin shot, so to speak, by getting to know someone new. And that went on for a few years and I more or less ended up 
on my bedroom floor one morning being completely devastated you know about just no longer being able to put up being put through the cycle uh, that was also after my a few weeks after my dad passed away and another woman who I thought will be the love of my life left me and there was really this low point in my life out of which then jumping ahead then the integral relationship vision emerged uh, so would you call that like your kind of dark night of the soul that time absolutely period? absolutely yeah yeah um, so six months earlier, somebody had introduced me to Ken Wilbur through, again, through a, a, a CD set that time. So Eckhart Tolle and Ken Wilbur, I learned about auditory first before I read. And um, um, was on, she gave me, there was a friend who gave me these 10 CD set called Cosmic uh, Consciousness. Yeah. And I drove from Santa Rosa to LA, which is about an eight hour drive. So I could listen to eight of the 10 CDs on the drive. And I, I got out of the car in LA, went right to a bookstore uh, and life was never the same. And then uh, eight months later, after I then read Ken Wilbur and listened to conversations, there was this, this strange week where I got kicked out of the Center for Spiritual Living. My girlfriend had left me and my father died happened all in like four weeks and 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 then I had this insight that if we apply the integral model as you know as I understood it at the time to why there are all these difficulties in, in relationships that would at least explain to me you know why we couldn't resolve certain relationship conflicts it just like hit me like lightning and I scribbled on two pages of of uh, of a, on, on two sides of a page, the outline of the book basically within an hour. So it's wow. like a very raw idea, even though at the time thinking, I'm sure there must be uh, books that apply Ken Wilpers to, to love relationships and there weren't. I mean, I was really astounded about that. And since, and, and that really yeah, completely changed my life. Uh, Before you did the two pages, that sounds like it came through you. Yeah, um, they came through me. Talk about the dark night of your soul. You know, what did that pop open in you or change in you? Well, I think, you know, first of all, there was this idea of Eckhart Tolle that if you're present in the moment, there will be happiness. And, and what that in general did actually led for me to more unhappiness because I realized how many uh potentials there out there that I had never realized in my life emotionally and spiritually and interpersonally. Right? As a businessman, it was all transactional. Relationships were mainly transactional. And then they became more of a humanistic and, and spiritual nature. And along you know, came this incredible growth. But if, as you know, when we grow, the old has to die before the new can emerge. And often, this dying process of the old before we even know where this will lead us, you know, can be very painful, AKA the dark night of the soul. And um, I don't know if I, I really recall, but, but there was just this, this, this sense of hopelessness, right? It's no matter what I try, I cannot find happiness. And in hindsight, I know that I was chasing a form of superficial happiness because it was not underpinned by what today what I call purpose. Mm. You know, the purpose just to find a new woman to get sort of like this falling in love feeling. Yeah. Right? And maybe 
and as good as this is, you know, to do some healing together and, and to have new experiences, there was no telos in a way. It, it didn't lead anywhere, right? For what purpose do you want to learn, heal, and grow and awaken? Because in itself, it becomes sort of like uh, circular in a way. And, and, and you always look for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but it doesn't really produce, at least in, in my sense, it didn't produce anything that, that, that gave any higher meaning to me in my life. And so my life was utterly meaningless. I guess that's the best way I could describe it. And then having this idea of the book and, and, and starting to write this book gave meaning to all these experiences and then all the experiences that followed, the purpose of that was to integrate it in the book. For someone who's entering into or in the middle of their own dark night of the soul, Hmm. what might you recommend that served you to get through to the other side that might serve them? Well, the best I know is, and that's why I wrote the second book, uh, Sex, Purpose, Purpose. Love. And sex means, it's a noun, right? Uh, the sexes, how the sexes interact with each other, and purpose, you know, find, you know, as, of course, that uh, having a spiritual path, depending on what nature your dark of the night soul is, right? I mean, it can be a spiritual crisis. It can be, in a sense, a biological crisis that we grow older in our body changes, health challenges. It can be a financial crisis. Uh, did I mention the psychological crisis? I already forget. Right? So, so if we put it into the four quadrants, there can be different uh, reasons. And um, and for me, I think, I mean, I'm not a therapist and not a super expert in, in this field, but if you really go deep inside of you and find what what are your innate talents, which fall in the in the in, in four groups of either creating more goodness, more truth, more beauty, or more function, or science, morals, aesthetics, and kinesthetics in a way to making practical things. And to, to find that out and, and to see where you have the skills and how you can put yourself in serving humanity in some way, even if it's only a few people, right? Be of service to others. That is proven besides having healthy relationships to, to bring lasting happiness and more health, longer life span, and so on and so forth. There's only three things that are proven to create happiness. And, and money is like partially a little bit of that. You know, you, you need some money to enact your purpose, but it's not at the core of these three. One is to have healthy relationships. One is to have healthy body, mind, and one is to live your purpose. These are the three. Nice. And that's why I wrote Sex, Purpose, Love in a way too. So yeah, tell me about so your purpose. Three. Well, so, so purpose is, a, is a, um, you know, it's not something we do. Uh, some, it's something that, that we feel called to, or it's not nothing concrete, right? Today I could say my purpose is to support singles and couples to co-create healthy relationships. But if I look at, at my whole life, what I always have done is that I brought people to co-create together, brought people together to co-create together. So in my earlier life, that was in bands when I was a musician, I always had sort of like a knack for 
not only who would be the best musician, but also who would be the best fit from, from his character and to form bands that could perform together. And then I, I became an entrepreneur in 1982 and I built companies and my greatest joy was just to hire people that complement each other and create synergy and, and work together as teams. I didn't study that. I'm a high voltage electrician by training, so I had no freaking idea about this, but I just have a natural talent for that, I think. And then I brought people together in these spiritual groups. Uh, and then I started an organization called Singles to Couples, which is my, my passion narrowed more and more down to intimate love relationships and, and to and, and that probably comes from my own difficulties at the beginning to co-create healthy relationships. And I got lucky twice, right, to find women who would marry me and, and that was fine for the time. And so 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 my my deeper purpose is to bring people together to co-create. And right now, like concretely right now, I'm I'm offering a training for integral relationship group facilitators. And because of COVID, I could no longer bring people together here in Istanbul, where I started the Integral Center again, this idea of bringing people together. And to my surprise, we have 135 people in 25 nations who, who come together on Zoom every week to, to practice, to become integral relationship group facilitators. And that just gives meaning and joy to my life. If, if, I, if I cannot bring people together to co-create my life feels utterly lonely and meaningless. And, and I would probably fall back in the dark night of the soul if I, if I could not do this. And I think it's somewhat misguided, right? Some people might say, well, if he, if he would be really spiritual, he would be happy to sit alone in his room in Istanbul and just you know, be blissfully in the moment. Um, but I'm in, now a fan of, of what's called evolutionary enlightenment, that, that we go beyond this rather surrendered, somewhat passive, right? Being present in the moment and really be a part of uh, the evolution of humanity. I, I no longer really use the term evolution, but, but be in service of the betterment of, of humanity from this spiritual place of surrender and presence. And, and I love the fact that uh, it's not hyperagenic, it's relationship-based. So yes. this would be a nice segue to talk about what is an integral approach to relationships? Yeah, that is, uh, that is um, so usually I know who I'm talking to. And so I find words, right, uh, that would resonate with, with that person. Um, and since we have a larger audience, right, some people may not be integrally informed. Um, I'm, I'm now shying away to use two terms that are too technical, but integral in itself means to bring, and maybe that's already too technical, differentiated parts into a functional whole. And um, I use the, for women more the example of a garden, for guys more the example of a car, right, where to understand how a garden really functions or a car really functions, you first have to differentiate the parts of the car or all the elements, the bucks, the roots, the soil, the sun, the water, right, the, the plants of a garden. But then if you have everything taken apart and the pieces are basically laying there, that's not a functional system, then you, you also need to know how 
they integrate with each other to create a functional whole. And in an integral relationship, we, we would you know, talk to, to someone or understand someone what they would see sort of like as the, the important parts to make a, re, a love relationship work. And so we could think about, well, there's the physical body, right? So you somehow connect on a physical level. There is your interior awareness, your consciousness, your feelings. And then there is some ways how you communicate them with your partner to create share understandings and this into me, you see this intimacy, right? The emotional intimacy. And then you also want to share a lifestyle. There's a, like a, a physical material aspect to it, like money and who takes out the trash and where you live and maybe hobbies where you vacation, right? And so you have four dimensions that seem essential to me uh, for um, a healthy relationship. And lo and behold, that uh, uh, represents the four quadrants in, in integral theory or the four dimensions of our being. And so the first step in an integral relationship for me would be that it is healthy in these four dimensions, right? That we are psychologically, emotionally healthy, that we can communicate our feelings, create emotional intimacy. We, we share our interior. We're interested about the interior of our partner. We have a healthy sexuality and also how we keep our body healthy, right? How, how we eat, how we exercise, how we sleep, how we medicate, right? That we, that we have shared values about the well-being of our physical body, which is then also helpful for our sexuality. And that we have shared values around material things in the widest things, lifestyle, money, right? And then maybe children and, and all these things. You know, in your many years of working with, with couples, mm -hmm. is, there a, is there a dynamic that you've noticed that stands out as more prevalent among them? Like, is it emotional issues and learning how to communicate effectively? Is it energetics? Is it health of the physical body? Is it taking out the trash? Is there anything, and, and also is there anything that you could say specific to the gender? You know, if it's a male or it's a female, is there anything that yeah, stands yeah. out as, that fits in one of those two categories? Yeah. Well, if integral would be so easy that it's just understanding these four dimensions, right? Then <laughs> Wilbur wouldn't have written 20 books uh -huh. <laughs> that are yep. about yep. Uh, three or four feet of shelf space. Got the mic back there. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're there. And so to answer your question, I think it's important to, to integrate the next thing that Wilbur did is that in all of these four dimensions, uh, there are growth hierarchies in there. So people are at different levels of development in, in these dimensions, specifically in, in, in their value system and, and worldviews, right? how they make meaning or, or how they would answer the question, what is a functional human being, for example. Mm -hmm. right? uh, and because that leads to different needs in these areas, depending on what level you are, and, and this usually poses greater challenges in relationships if couples are at, let's just simply say, at different levels of development or consciousness development than to say, you know, where are 
the problems mainly located, you know, are they mainly about money and the trash or sexuality? Because uh, what happens if, to come back in these four dimensions, if you have a dissonance or a challenge, right, or conflicts in one of these four dimensions, it almost like a bad apple, right, in a bowl, it infects all the other three uh, uh, dimensions. And very often, let's say, you know, uh, you would be with a woman, your challenge may be in one of these four areas and her challenge may be in another one of these four areas, right? So you may be happy with the sex life, uh, but she may not be happy with the sex life and uh, he, she may be happy with whatever the money that you make, but you're not happy with something else there. So, and then that really creates this, because it's two times four dimensions that try to co-create a relationship, right? And if, if the development in some dimensions is not equal, then that creates in itself problems. But if, if one person is happy in one dimension, the other one is not happy, then that, and, and so then it gets quickly quite complex. Right? I would imagine it's even more complex when you, when you add in the growth hierarchies, if you're looking yes. at value systems, cognitive complexity, morals, yes. you yeah. know, there's all these various lines of development. Yeah, so not, yeah. not only just eight, it's a yeah, multiplicity yeah. Of, of that yeah. complexity. To, to be very simplistic, right? If, if some person says, we can easily live on $40,000 a year, this is very environmentally conscious, right? We're just gonna tone down on, on, on material things and have a simple lifestyle. And for the other person, right? A million is sort of like where, where we start talking, right? Then, then it's just the value disconnect that you would, would have. and. And that's the same, let's say, around sexuality. If somebody says, well, once a week kind of missionary style is fine, and the other one wants to practice Tantra or maybe be, have an open or polyamorous relationship, a sexual relationship, right? It's, there are so many variations then, but they're usually all based in what is our core, as you just said, consciousness or value system around, around these things. How does the um, purpose... Like, how do you bring in purpose inside a relationship? I, I, I understood you talked about an individual's purpose mm. and how it can express itself differently over time. But yeah. then how does purpose show up inside of a relationship in the work that yeah. you guys do? So that was the, so I give a little context how that happened because I spent four years writing integral relationships, a manual for men. And at the time I thought, you know, when, when you fall in love with someone, then, you know, and at the time wrongly, I thought so like love is unconditional, kind of like this new age kind of idea, right? And, and the only problem is maybe a little bit like in a less sophisticated way coming from Eric Fromm, that you just don't have the relationship skills to sustain the love relationship. And so integral relationships really educated myself and then inspired other people to really look at these differences in these four dimensions and, and the levels. And so I thought, you know, if you get together with someone who's at the same level of development roughly and wants to heal and learn and grow, and you can manage to have it healthy in all four quadrants, then you should have, be able to have a sustainable love relationship. That was sort of like my idea. And then in 2013, 10, I finished a book in, two, in 2012. I did a workshop in, in New York and there was a young woman, very sexy, very pretty. And she really, really wanted to be in a relationship with me. 
and and so we we got together and she moved to California and after a year this relationship crashed and I was just like not only personally devastated but I was also really embarrassed right in in the intercommunity community where where we had presented ourselves like as an integral couple it was a very humiliating experience and during that time what broke my heart even almost more or even more was this missed opportunity what we could have done together in the world at least what i felt we as a couple we could have done so much more powerfully than i could have done by myself and then once i recovered after two years from that breakup uh, i wanted to investi- investigate this this question of shared purpose so, so that's how how i came to the second book and also the third part that i also then looked at love from an integral perspective and not only at relating so these were two mis- things that they were not mistakes, but they were clearly missing from my first book, mm-hmm. the shared purpose and to look at love from an integral perspective. So when I thought about, so that's the little introduction. When I thought about purpose, the first insight I had that still seems to hold up very well with people who read my second book is that we have a biological purpose that we share with all living things to survive and to procreate and to form groups. And importantly, to seek quality of life. Like even all animals basically always go for the best possible quality of life, given the the available food resources and circumstances and things like that. And we humans do that too. So that's, that's where money comes in handy because it usually increases your quality of life. And a lot of women specifically choose partner partners who increase their quality of life. We men are more looking for women who are sexy and, and we can have great sex with women usually look for guys who increase their quality of life, very stereotypically speaking. Is, is, that, is that unique to the West or do you think that's unique to our species? Is that time constrained? Like that's just the modern- That seems to be universal. So Donald Simmons wrote this, uh, The Evolution of Sex in 1980 or so. And he did research in, in whatever, 30, 40 countries. So this, this, this seems to be universal. And I lived in Germany and in the US and now I live in Turkey and I taught in, in, in Australia, in Moscow, pretty, not all over the world, but, but that seems to be a universal. Of course, that's not true for everyone, but just generally speaking. And then I realized, um, and, and there is a, a book, if anybody wants to look that up, uh, called The Complexity of Greatness. And in this book, they found out that humans have th- four genetic predispositions for talent which was really astounding to me, right, to, to read this. And I already kind of mentioned it. It's for either for cognitive intelligence or for artistic creativity or for empathy and for practical skills. And then it dawned on me that if you think about, if you read a lot of dating profiles, in some way, women say, I want to have a good-looking guy who's intelligent who can entertain me or is artistic, who's good to me, right? He can be aggressive towards others, but he has to be good to me as a, as a wife or as a partner, and he has to be able to fix stuff around the house, right? Every woman in one way or another expresses that. And then I thought back about human history, and it became clear to me that a, a few hundred thousand years ago, just the, the guys with the biggest muscles 
was often outsmarted, right? Or was, yeah, by, by guys who were more intelligent. And if they all beat up their wives, they were not very uh, popular, probably. So, so if, if a guy had some level of empathy for his wife and his children and could create art, right? I mean, art, if you go way back, like 30, 40, 50,000 years, you find cave paintings, you find figurines, you find body decoration. Art has been a big part of our life, right? And it was mainly, we could assume, males who created this art in order to impress and to attract females. And of course, guys who can make fire and invent a wheel and make weapons and stuff like that. So, so these are the four qualities, and because women selected for these four qualities in men, they became genetically encoded in males and females over time. And so everyone has the genetic predisposition, and, and they're not equal, right? Some people are more cognitively intelligent, some people are more artistically intelligent, some people have this big empathy, right? Uh, think about morals and how can we get along as a species. And some guys or some women, some people are very practical with their hands or dancing or sports or stuff like that, or, or fun great functional systems. And so that, that, that's at the root. And then of course you need to develop this, first you need to develop the brain and your body between age from conception to maybe age five or six, right? So you have the foundation and then from there, you need to develop the skills in order to enact your, your purpose. And not everybody has the opportunity to develop the skills to enact their purpose. Like I wanted to be a musician and a chef and bring people together to co-create. And my father said, no, I'm a third uh, generation high voltage electrician. So you're my son. You have to become a high voltage electrician too. And I was kind of dumb like a brick, right? I, I, I barely made it through the, through the training because my technical cognitive uh, intelligence, I'm not genetically predispositioned for, for stuff like that. I can think in big structures and write big books, but I cannot figure out a simple mathematical formula or even calculate the time correctly to have our conversation <laughs> this evening, right? I mess stuff up like that all the time, right? So, and historically, of course, males had the, the rights and responsibilities in what we call the, the public sphere, right? And females were relegated to the domestic sphere. So it was mainly males who could develop the skills to lift their purpose. So if you look through history, it's mainly male artists, male politicians, male philosophers, male, 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 right? And, and the women were basically birth machines and, and supporting at best their males in their purpose in the public sphere with few uh, exceptions. And now, of course, in modernity and postmodernity, since women have the same genes, obviously, and go even more to university now than, than boys do, at least in, in America, uh, I think we need a new framework for relationships because we don't really know how to deal with, with these modern and postmodern relationships. Many people don't know how to deal with it. And so what I experienced was that if, if, if a couple goes together and they have also a shared uh, purpose, right? That can be in, in any of these uh, few fields. I'm very good with uh, good friends with Alex and Alison Gray, for example, the, the artists that you may know of, right? I was just invited last fall to their uh, Cosm uh, Center in, in North 
upstate New York, right? And nice. he gave a workshop there in a talk and then, uh, and there's like our Bill and Melinda Gates or maybe Bill and Hillary Clinton, you know, without judging anything that they're doing. But you, you could see in these couples that they could not do, or Michelle and Barack Obama, right? They could not do on their own what, they, what they're able to do as, as a couple, right? We usually refer to them as a power couple. Uh, and that's sort of like my vision for, for the future of relationships. Now, the trick is, of course, and, and I know you have a question, if you're already in a relationship and you don't share a purpose, right, this, this can be very bad news. I mean, I literally had people who got very depressed and said, yeah, I feel really passionate about this thing and I would love to share it with a partner, but my wife is, or my partner can go both ways, is interested in watching TV and drinking beer or whatever, right, has, has not really enacted their purpose or they have a very different purpose. So that can be very bad news, but it can be also great news for, for people who, who never realize that and for single people who can add that to their dating profile and, and can say, yes, I want to show up in the world, living my purpose and through that attracting someone who has the same purpose, but found a different way of expression. So there, it gets a little more complicated there, but I'll pause at this moment. So, so someone could read your book or work with one of your certified trainers, mm -hmm. and part of that would be to figure out what their individual purpose is, yes. and then through a co-creative process, determine whether it's a joint uh, purpose. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. So, I mean, there are specific purpose guides, and there are about thirty or so books that help you to find your purpose. So, so I'm, I'm more a person who points to these different uh, strategies and, and very briefly, there are four broad methods to, to identify your purpose, which I call the autobiographical purpose, where you just look back and say, where did I find, experience the greatest joy, the greatest bliss, the best flow in my life, right? And you, and you then look, what did I do? And then you see if you can make a living doing that. I mean, very often the big difficulty is that we may feel very uh, that our purpose and our calling is to maybe be a musician or to, to be something, but it doesn't pay much or anything, right? So it, this is where it, it gets a little bit more complex. But there is always then expressions how we can also uh, make money, right? There's these four circles, what you love to do, what you do well, what the world needs and what the world pays for. And so you want to see if you cover all these four areas. Um, so that would be more the, the autobiographical method. The other one I call the absence method. And that for two reasons, A, you really don't know what, what brought you real deep joy in your life, right? So that there wasn't this, when you look back into your life, okay, life kind of sucked overall. And, everything that brought me joy wasn't really like, didn't seem like a purpose, right? It was more like hedonistic. So a purpose is of course not hedonistic, avoiding pain, seeking pleasure, right? And so saying, oh, when I was on the vacation or when I fell in love or when I hang out with my buddies watching TV, that brings me joy and bliss, but it's not a purpose, right? <laughs> so obviously, uh, and so it's kind of absent. So, so there are some, some deeper introspective methods, but the, the, the core question I asked there is, what is the biggest pain? What, what do you feel is absent in the world, like love or more 
uh, art, you know, more beauty or more equality? You know, what do you what do you feel is absent in the world, and you're called to absent this absence? Got it's it. a Roy Baskar, absencing absences, like there was no integral relationship book, right? It was absent, and I felt called to absent this absence. And I didn't write this from a, from a place of, of bliss and joy. I wrote this from a place of frustration and anger and, and pain, right? And I said, you know, I can no longer stand this, all these painful relationships that I have and see it in others. And there is something absent and I have something to contribute. So that's the second method. The third method is the spiritual method, which I call ego transcending. So Eckhart Tolle's second book, A New Earth, the subtitle of that book is something like finding your life's purpose or living your life's purpose. So a lot of spiritual books now have this use of spirituality, transcend your ego to discover your life's purpose. Because your ego, right, your false identity, your false sense of self and your sense of being separate from others in the world, as a short description of what the ego is in, in a negative sense, um, often prevents you, you know, this conditioning from really feeling what, what your purpose is. And so this is, can you be still long enough for the mud to settle for the next action to arise naturally or from a state beyond ego? And so also A.A. Chalmas, the diamond approach, I think is very good. And, and some people call it from egocentric to ecocentric, right? Like, um, I forgot the name now. Um, anyway, there, there's several books of people. In, uh, Bill Blotkin has a great book about that. And again, that depends a little bit on what level of consciousness you are. Some people do it through finding God. And there are all the, the orange, you know, rational books, um, skill books, and, and and so on and so forth. And and the final one is what what is called the ego affirming method. And interestingly enough, the ego transcending methods are mainly propagated by males, teachers, and resonate very often with males, but also with females. And the ego affirming methods are so like the Marion Williamson type uh, teachers, she being so like, and, and uh, Jean Houston and others who have this like, you're already brilliant the way you are, you just have a fear of success, right? You're, you're, you're not shining your light fully into the world even though it's already there. You just have to have the guts, you have to build up to your ego to go, go out into the world and to share your gifts. That's the ego affirming uh, method which is great for people who already have developed talents and skills and really have something to offer and don't do it because you know, their ego is not strong enough, which is often the case in women that they're not so sure. Of course, that's changing now in the world, but 20, 30 years ago when Marion Williamson started, that was certainly the case. It's a disaster if people think that they have all these gifts to the world to give, but they have not developed any skills, right? And you get into some dubious certain healing modalities and this new age stuff, right? As we integral people say a little dismissively sometimes. So it's important to find the right method of these four and, and the purpose guide can help you to find it and then work in this direction. So we've contextualized this conversation with heterosexual couples, male, female, yeah, same this, for 
yeah. same for same-sex couples. Okay. So yeah, even yeah. though my, you know, I mean, I'm un unapologetic and I even have a little sentence in my book that I say, look, I'm heterosexual. I wrote my first book for me. It's called a manual for men, but it was really a manual for me. And so I reserved the right to be unashamed heterosexual and to, to write from my perspective because I'm, I'm not homosexual and certainly not lesbian. So, so there are great books out there, my friend. Uh, names is always hard. Uh, the Missing Myth uh, is called the book. It's, it's an integral book for a homosexual man. Um, and the name will come to me in a moment. So, and I'm, I'm great friends with, with, with homosexuals and lesbian people who, who write and, and things like that. But I have several, you know, feedback from uh, homosexual and lesbian people who read my book and found it just equally uh, useful with a few small exceptions that are very different Sorry. gender specific, but, but in general, it's the same, same dynamic. So, you know, you, you talked about Dark Night of the Soul, which led you to write your first book. Yes. The challenges with that failed, very publicly failing integral relationship, which <laughs> led you to write your second book and, you know, yeah. lessons learned along the way. What would you say is your cutting edge place now? Not that you have to be in a Dark Night of the Soul or in a, yeah, in a failed no, relationship, not, yeah. but what's your cutting edge for your own yeah. personal development? So, first of all, it's another joke when I sometimes show my books, you know, I said it, that I wrote after my major, first major failed relationship. This I wrote after my second major. And so I have some, some people who hope that I won't have another major failed relationship because then the book would probably be like <laughs> this thick. And, and there's some, some kind of truth to that because the more we evolve, right, we, we may think the more enlightened and the more we grow and heal and develop, the more simple things get. But in, in truth, you know, our inner complexity and the complexity of the world that we're sort of like creating or, or living in, you know, increases and therefore the, the relationships become more, more complex. Yeah. That's why we need thicker and thicker books the more we, <laughs> we evolve. It's just like, you know, if you have a bicycle, there's only so much that can break. If you have an Airbus or a jumbo jet there is much more parts right and so more stuff can break and my favorite example same. Of that as a symbol or as mm -hmm. an analogy to that is uh, Stuart Davis's song the ladder the ladder he actually sings that that as you oh. climb the ladder it becomes even more shaky <laughs> ah okay yeah I don't know that song but Stuart that. is Stuart yeah. is a hoot yes you know, funniest guy in the world at least from an integral perspective yes yeah he's <laughs> great, great. I'll check out that song. Yeah. So where I, where I am now. Yeah. So maybe, you know, one thing I, I, I can say and that may seem a little bit unrelated is, you know, there's these four things to be unconsciously incompetent. So if I, you know, with relationships, I was unconsciously incompetent how to have a relationship. I just modeled what my parents modeled, which was no longer applicable, even when I was a young man, really, right? It worked perfectly for them. And then you become consciously incompetent. Mm -hmm. So at one point, you know, in, in my new age world, I realized I have no fucking clue what these women want from me. I just knew that I didn't know. And I became really curious what I 
what I had to learn. And then when I wrote integral relationships, I think I became consciously competent. So I, I went so that I knew I'd go in with my heart and my body, but my mind was very much always checking what is going on and in what quadrant are we right now and what level and what's the problem and, and kind of like, you know, where, where do we need to heal and learn and, and, and is this another AFCO, another fucking growth opportunity right, in the relationship and, and things like that. So, so I became consciously competent and now I feel I move into this fourth stage of being unconsciously competent, mm. right, where, where I'm returning in a way to a natural way of interacting with other people without thinking so much about, uh, you know, what quadrant we're in, what level we're at. And, and, and it's, it's just like, it feels much more embodied and being almost 63 now, I'm, I'm feeling I want to teach as many other people to, to bring my work into the world uh, as I can, because I realized, uh, you know, I can only be in Istanbul or in LA or in one place. And this is really a worldwide, has turned into somewhat of a movement would be too much, but a worldwide interest. And since I'm really the only integral relationship guy, sort of like with, with the books and, and a real uh, a teaching, I mean, there's Keith Witt, who is a great therapist, integral and, and uh, uh, my, my name brain is not very, uh, <laughs> Tom Habib uh, uh, and the guy who wrote The Missing Myth for, for Gay Couples or Gay People is Shil Herada is his name, just came back to me. Um, you know, that, that what I enjoy most is to work with people to kind of pay it forward. So we built the integral center here in Istanbul before COVID-19 and we had like five groups a week with about 20 to 30 people coming nice. and really working with, with people in Turkey in a totally different culture. I found so interesting because I had, what, what came out of that is that we, we simply broke down the, the integral model in all these little, and it might come into focus in a moment. Let's see, you know, in, in these little self-contained modules that, that people could just pick out and say, okay, this is, you know, reading description, this sounds like I have a problem in a relationship. So instead of leveling the whole model at them, I had to come back to the car. If they say, oh, I feel I have a, a problem with, with, with the transmission, right? I just want to learn about the transmission. I don't want to learn about all the other parts of the car because that's where I feel the problem is. Then I said, yeah, we, we have a module just for dealing with the transmission. And then by the way, if you happen to have a, a problem with the spark plugs down the road, right? That we have a module for that too, or speaking with the garden, right? So, so we broke it down and I, I, I'm just like so much more interested to make this accessible now and to break it into pieces. And then when people go, oh, I want to learn about all the parts, then, you know, I have offers for this too. Speaking of if, accessible, yeah. how can people find out about your books? your online program to train the trainers hmm. and such things that you're involved in? Well, I would say, I mean, the, the most part is word of mouth. And of course I have a website called integralrelationship.com. So singular integralrelationship.com. And uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes funny, you know, that the less you kind of try to market yourself, the more uh, yeah, people just find it on Facebook or 
the integral conference and and yeah it's just so people come I'm not the greatest marketing guy in the world but uh <laughs> word gets around and right now I'm I'm very happy covid was a big bummer for me you know because I really enjoyed these groups here and and, and building the integral center then again there was this it wasn't the dark night of the soul but it was like fuck now I'm stuck here and the reason why I was here was that I can have these groups and then I just had this idea about why not offer a Zoom online training and people literally ran down my door. I'm still almost in shock about the interest and how great this group is going right now. Is your cohort, did you start a new cohort at a certain time? Like how does your cohort work with people who want to come? So this train, it will be 26 weeks because we have 26 modules. So I broke down the integral relationship model into 26 embodied practices. Nice. So this is not teaching theory, but there's a little introduction, then people do an exercise and then they share afterwards. So it's very different from Ken Wilbur sitting on the stage and talking at people for two hours, which is great for February cerebral. So it's very embodied and, and we teach people around the world to facilitate these 26 modules that you can read up on my website about. Um, and, and we probably in a few weeks, we will start a new training because you know, people can no longer join the old training because we're in module six now. Uh, and so, that will, I don't know how long this will go, but it looks like that's just what I'm doing now. You know? So someone could watch this today. Someone could watch it a month from now, a year yeah. from now, and possibly join a cohort that's... Right, that's part. beginning, yeah. That's what so, No, we have 100, what do you, 125, 130 people right now. I'm sure yes. about 20 or 30 will drop out. And then we will probably, when we're in module... 15 start a new training that begins in, in module one again okay. while the other people are finishing. Is it mostly therapists and coaches? Like who, who are your clients who then become facilitators in your system? It's, it's amazing. You know, spiritual teachers, therapists, coaches, just interested, integral or lay people. Okay. Uh, but, but there is a, a center of gravity in, in therapists and coaches and, and some spiritual teachers. Uh, who do this work and it's uh, it's an amazing group so because Great. it's not this i'm not a top-down teacher i mean i know i talked a lot but what i enjoy there is that we're all contributing to to the teaching and it's very practice oriented so most of the time the people s spend in diets in zoom to practice these things you know mm -hmm. and they're, they're and they're getting to know each other and and, and there's this this real amazing group dynamic happening where I'm, I'm usually always the one who learns the most. Mm -hmm. So when you facilitate groups, as you know, or you do these interviews and things, uh, you always learn, learn the oh, most. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 You know, th these interviews are my excuse to meet some amazing people and learn what mm -hmm. they're up to. Yeah. That's one of the many reasons I do them. So it's like yeah, it's, my personal PhD. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great gift you provide for others doing that. So one more time, your website? is integralrelationship.com. Awesome. Well, Martin, it's been great to talk to you. I appreciate Thank your time. You. Yeah. And uh, I know it's late there in Turkey. So uh, hopefully you have it a is. good rest of your short evening. And uh, we'll talk soon.
Yeah, thank you, Michael. And thank you for having you, too. And thank you for listening to this uh, podcast. <laughs>